0: Chapter 9 of The Mentor 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Mentor 2 by Various. Chapter 9 Joan of Arc by Ida M. Tarbell serial number 98 the mentor joan of arc by ida m tarbell author and editor department of biography volume 3 number 22 the maid of orleans what is to be thought of her what is to be thought of the poor shepherd girl from the hills and forests of lorraine that like the hebrew shepherd boy from the hills and forests of judea rose suddenly out of the quiet out of the safety out of the religious inspiration rooted in deep pastoral solitudes to a station in the van of armies and to the more perilous station at the right hand of kings the boy rose to a splendor and a noonday prosperity both personal and public that ran through the records of his people and became a byword amongst his posterity for a thousand years until the sceptre was departing from judah the poor forsaken girl on the contrary drank not herself from that cup of rest which she had secured for france pure innocent noble-hearted girl This was amongst the strongest pledges for thy truth, that never once didst thou revel in the vision of coronets and honor from man. To suffer, and to do, that was thy portion in this life, that was thy destiny, and not for a moment was it hidden from thyself great was the throne of france even in those days and great was he that sat upon it but well joanna knew that not the throne nor he that sat upon it was for her but on the contrary that she was for them not she by them but they by her should rise from the dust Gorgeous were the lilies of France, and for centuries had the privilege to spread their beauty over land and sea. But well Joanna knew, early at Domremy, she had read that bitter truth, that the lilies of France would decorate no garland for her. Flower nor bud, bell nor blossom, would ever bloom for her. THE YOUTH OF THE MAID Joan of Arc, whose name more properly was jean d'Arc, and who is now known in France as Jean d'Arc, was one of the most wonderful women that ever lived. It is hard to believe some of the strange things that happened to her before she was twenty years old. She was born at Domremy, over in the eastern part of France, on January 6, 1412 she was the daughter of a peasant and never learned to read or write yet later in her life learned men could not puzzle her by questions she was so sympathetic that she would stop to comfort her wounded enemies on the battlefield yet she was so brave that even when severely wounded she continued to lead her soldiers before hearing the story of joan of arc It is interesting to know something of what was happening in France at the time she lived. For a long time, the English king had been trying to make himself also the ruler of France. The ruler at that time was named Charles, but he had never been crowned king, as the coronation should have taken place at the cathedral at Reims. But as Rheims was in the power of the English, Charles could not go there to be crowned. THE FRENCH THEMSELVES WERE DIVIDED INTO TWO PARTS. SOME OF THEM SIDED WITH CHARLES, BUT MORE TOOK THE PART OF ENGLAND. THESE LATTER PEOPLE LIVED IN Burgundy. SO AT THE TIME THAT JOAN OF ARC WAS BORN FRANCE WAS IN A MOST UNHAPPY STATE. THE GIRL SOMETIMES GUARDED HER FATHER'S FLOCKS, AND SHE WAS ALWAYS GLAD TO ASSIST IN THE HOUSEHOLD WORK. SHE WAS NOTED FOR HER PHYSICAL STRENGTH. And for this reason, and for her unselfish kindness, she was a favorite in her village. She was of an extremely religious temperament, and the church services made her very happy. When Joan was about thirteen years old, her voices came to her for the first time. She told of this great event later in her life. When I was about thirteen years old, there came to me a voice from God teaching me how i was to behave and what i was to do and the first time that voice came i was afraid i was standing about the middle of the day in summer in my father's garden the voice came from the right hand from where the church stands and when it came i usually saw a great light on the side from which it spoke the voice told me to be a good girl and go to church and go to save france i said i was only a poor girl who could not ride or lead the soldiers in the wars joan also said that she saw figures of angels and she enjoyed talking to them and listening to their counsel however no one else ever saw the angels or heard the voices about this time henry v of england died and his son became heir to the throne. But the war against France was still being carried on. Just then, the English were besieging the town of Orleans. This was in the fall of 1428. It seemed as though the city would be captured, and the last stronghold of Charles would be lost to him. There were about 4,000 English besieging the city and they planned to starve Orléans into surrender. It was then that the voices advised Joan to save France. The Maid Obeys the Voices Joan lived far away from Orléans, but her voices kept saying to her that she must go and drive away the English from that town. She did not want to do this, as she preferred to live quietly in her native village but the voices were urgent and so at last joan went to a nearby town vauculeuse and asked the commander there to lend her an escort so that she might go to king charles of france at Chignon. this commander whose name was robert de Baudricourt, laughed at her but when joan told him of a great disaster that had happened to the french army near orleans at the time that it happened whereas he did not hear of it until some time later he was convinced of her miraculous power and sent her to charles this was on february twenty third fourteen twenty nine after riding for several days the maid and her band reached chignon then there was more delay but at last she was allowed to have an audience with the king to test her power charles stood among a crowd of courtiers clothed very simply but without hesitation joan knelt before him and said fair sir you are the dauphine to whom i am come charles pointed to another and said that is the king no fair sir said joan it is to you that i am sent this assured the king but to convince him further of her power she told him of his own private secret this was that he prayed every night to know whether or not he was the rightful king of france as charles had not told this secret to a living soul he was amazed he was also encouraged when the girl told him he was the rightful king then joan was examined by the wise men of the court and finally everyone agreed that she was advised by supernatural powers an army was then collected with which she was to march to the relief of orleans white armor was made for her and a sacred banner presented to her her sword was dug from the ground behind the altar of saint catherine in a little town called fierbois she had prophesied that this sword would be found there then the maid led the french to orleans the relief of orleans joan entered orleans at nightfall the people were all glad to see her and lighted her way with torches they tried to kiss her hands in her white armor she was an inspiration to the french joan wanted to sally out from orleans immediately and attack the english but the commander of the french forces did not think it wise to do so shortly afterward however joan had her way the french planned an attack on the strongest of the english forts besieging orleans this was placed at the end of the bridge over the river loire it was a dangerous thing to do as the fort was very strong but joan herself led the soldiers against its walls the english were brave and repulsed the attack throughout the day at about one o'clock in the afternoon joan was wounded by an arrow she had prophesied this some time before the wound was not serious however and she went back into the battle at eight o'clock dunois the commander of the french wanted to withdraw saying that they could not capture the fort that day but joan would not give up she went away for a while and prayed when she returned she seized her standard and led the soldiers up to the walls of the fort the french inspired by her bravery followed "'climbing the walls and killing or capturing all the English in the fort. "'This defeat discouraged the English, "'and they withdrew from Orleans on May 8th, 1429. "'In four days Joan had accomplished more "'than the French had been able to do in seven long months. "'Joan next planned to take Charles to Reims "'and have him crowned with the holy oil.' but most of the country was held by the english so joan determined to capture the cities and thereby make it safe for the king to go to rheims she first captured jargo then moon and after that beaugency shortly after this the english army was near a little town called pathay the french were pursuing them so the main part of the english army was placed at the end of a long lane between two thick hedges then they hid their archers behind these hedges they planned to trap the french in this long lane and shoot them down the french would have gone right into this trap if a stag had not been roused by them and run up the lane into the english lines the english archers could not resist a chance like this they shot at the stag this revealed their ambush to the french and saved joan's army from defeat the English were beaten, and the maid won a great victory. THE CORONATION OF CHARLES Seventh. After Joan of Arc had beaten the English at Pathé, she wanted to carry out her plan to have Charles the Seventh crowned King of France in the cathedral at Rheims, but Charles was badly advised. His counselors were lazy and cowardly, and they told him that it was unsafe for him to attempt to go to Rheims but at last he decided to march there with his army and on july sixteenth fourteen twenty nine he entered the city the next day charles was crowned king of france while joan stood beside him holding her sacred banner when the coronation was over joan knelt at the king's feet and said gentle king now is the will of god fulfilled charles wished to reward her and asked what she wanted she said that her only wish was that domremy her native village should ever after be free from taxes her wish was granted the next plan of the maid was to capture paris from the english but she received no assistance from the king and his followers he did not want to make war for he hoped to gain the friendship of the duke of burgundy finally however charles was persuaded to go to a little town called sang denis which is near paris but he was not much help joan led her soldiers against a gate in paris called the port st Honoré. one of the men who fought the battle tells of it in this manner the fight was long and fierce and it was wonderful to hear the noise of guns and culverins from the walls and to see the arrows fly like clouds few of those who went down into the dry ditch with the maid were hurt though many others were wounded with arrows and stone cannon-balls but by god's grace and the maid's favour there were none but could return without help we fought from noon till darkness began after the sunset the maid was wounded in the thigh by a bolt from a crossbow, but she only shouted louder come on and the place was ours but when it was dark and all were weary men came from the king and brought her up out of the ditch against her will the next day when joan and her followers were riding to attack paris king charles sent messengers forbidding them to do it so they gave up their plans for the day planning to seize the city the following day but the king kept putting off the attack until finally joan gave up in despair and her troops were disbanded Later, Joan went to Normandy, but in December returned to the court of Charles, where, on the 29th, her family were ennobled with the surname of Dulie. She did not care for honors, however, but concentrated all her energies on driving the English from her native country. In March 1430, she went away from the court to assist in the defence of compiegne against the duke of burgundy who was attacking the city the capture of the maid joan had often prophesied that her mission would last but a year and this year was now fast drawing to a close her voices also spoke to her about this time saying that she would be taken prisoner soon they would never tell her when joan prayed that she might die before she was captured for the english had often threatened that they would burn her as a witch if they caught her she fought on bravely however and did not allow her fear to overcome her courage when the duke of burgundy began to besiege compiegne joan before dawn on may twenty third fourteen thirty stole into the city with two or three hundred men the people were overjoyed to see her that evening she led her little force out of compiegne in a sortie against the besiegers she charged the burgundians at marny which is near compiegne and drove them twice back to another village called but her enemies were there reinforced and finally drove her back again she rallied her men and charged them but there were very few of her followers with her this time and she was surrounded and captured she would not yield at first hoping to be killed but the Burgundians did not wish this as she was more valuable to them alive than dead they hoped to get a great ransom for her it might be imagined that the king and the people of france would have been glad to pay any sum for the safe return of the maid who had so greatly helped their native land but charles was indolent and his advisers who did not like joan counselled him not to ransom her therefore he never made an effort to save her nor did he show any interest in her fate jean de luxembourg was joan's captor and he sold her to the english she knew what her fate would be in their hands and one day when she was taking the air on the flat roof of the great tower of beaurevoir where she was imprisoned she leaped hoping to kill herself strangely she was not hurt not a bone in her body was broken but after the fall she found that she could not move a limb it was destined that she should not escape she was recaptured and turned over to the english who put her into a new prison the trial and death of the maid the english turned joan of arc over to the inquisition on january third fourteen thirty one the inquisition was a court which tried people for religious offences against the church they put her into a cage in the castle of rouen chains were placed on her legs and five rough soldiers kept watch in the room day and night her captors wished to prove her a witch to take away the sting of having been defeated by a girl the principal enemy of joan was pierre Cochon, the bishop of beauvais who hoped to be made archbishop of rouen by the english her examination by the court of the inquisition began on january 9th. for three months these wise men examined the maid every day she had no advocate and was forced to defend herself but she showed that she was far wiser than her learned judges she would never answer questions about her saints and voices except when the voices gave her permission to do so in particular the judges wished to know the secret of the king which secret they knew joan possessed but in spite of the king's neglect of the maid she would never betray him finally they told her they would torture her they took her to the torture chamber and asked her if she would tell them then but joan said torture me if you please tear my body to pieces whatever i say in my pains will not be true and as soon as i am released i will deny that it was true now go on they did not torture her but continued to harass her with questions they said she should not wear a man's dress as she did she answered that when among men in war it was better and more proper once during the trial she seemed to hear her voices and stopped speaking suddenly then after listening a moment she said before seven years are past the english will lose a greater stake than they have lost at orleans they will lose everything in france this prophecy came true as we know at last on may twenty fourth fourteen thirty one her judges took joan to the graveyard of the church of ouang at rouen there was a stake and faggots all ready for the burning and they said that she would be burned to death unless she signed a paper saying that she would wear woman's dress and would submit to the judges she said that she would be willing to do this if she would receive pardon but as joan could not read the judges substituted another paper for her to make her mark on on this paper was a statement that her saints were evil spirits and that she had done all sorts of wrong things she was still a prisoner of the english and they kept her in prison her jailers by trickery induced her to put on her man's dress once more when she had done this she was judged to have relapsed this was the greatest crime and she was sentenced to death on may thirtieth fourteen thirty one she was burned to death in the marketplace of rouen eight hundred soldiers surrounded the stake for fear that someone might attempt to save her only one kind priest, who pitied her, brought a cross and held it before her eyes while she was burning. In 1436, a woman appeared, who said she was Joan of Arc, escaped from the flames. Many people believed her, but afterward she confessed to being an impostor. On July 7, 1456, the Pope revoked the sentence passed on the maid. In February 1903, a formal proposal was entered for her canonization, and on December thirteenth, nineteen 1908, she was made a saint. Aside from the story of the Christ, there is none in history which offers so complete a picture of the heights and depths of human character as that of Joan of Arc so perfect is its symbolism that one coming for the first time to the records of the world might well believe it was the invention of some consummate master of the intricacies of human nature intent on showing to men the extremes of evil and of good of which they are capable the doorway to the house full of subtleties and mysteries as the story is there is none in history more perfectly documented. We have not merely the proofs of what the Holy Maid claimed to be, and what she did, but the details of her childhood, the inmost experiences of her spiritual and physical life, and these events and experiences stand on the evidences of not one, but of many of those who were with her from her birth on January 6, 1412, in the little village of Domremy, some 125 miles southeast of Paris, to the day, nineteen years later, when, before the eyes of a great multitude of the people of Rouen, she was burned at the stake. She suffered her fate because a body of eminent lawyers and divines had found that she was, as their restrained and Christian language has it, a liar, an inventor of revelations and apparitions a deceiver pernicious presumptuous light of faith rash superstitious a soothsayer a blasphemer against god and his saints a contemner of god even in his sacraments a prevaricator of divine law and of sacred doctrines and ecclesiastical sanction seditious cruel apostate schismatic having committed a thousand errors against religion and by all these tokens rashly guilty towards god and holy church the voices the girl against whom these vindictive and hysterical charges were made was of peasant origin not yet twenty years of age and knew not a from b she had come to her cruel end because from the time she was thirteen she had heard voices the voices of saints which she never had doubted had come from god and had never failed to obey though the orders they gave her were so extraordinary that they had at the beginning filled her with terror she had wept and pled her youth her ignorance her unfitness for the mission on which they would send her it was an amazing mission nothing less than to save france from the clutches of england her instructions were detailed she was to go to the governor of a nearby town and ask for an escort to conduct her to charles the seventh who called himself king of france though he had never been crowned she was to go to charles and announce herself as sent by god to raise the siege of orleans and to conduct him to rheims where he was to be crowned the english in the end were to be driven from all france the voices assured her to joan of arc this mission was of supremest importance she lived in the path of war and like many a belgian a french or a polish girl of today she had seen her village sacked her family and her friends obliged to flee saving what they could domremy lived in constant danger of the burgundian allies of england and of all the pitiless riffraff war-breeds joan was an ardent patriot and suffered with her country she loved her king too looking on him as sent of god to rescue him was the noblest work which one could be given after the first revolt she accepted the call without misgivings it was not for her to question voices sent by god the key to the career of joan of arc is this unfaltering confidence she did things from the start utterly preposterous by human standards of conduct what more unlikely of success than that the governor of a tormented district should turn over for the asking to a child of seventeen of whom he had never heard an escort to take her to the king of the land yet the governor a vocaleur did this not on the first or second asking to be sure but on the third and joan had never doubted that she would get her escort the voices had told me it would be thus the maid and the king her mind was so full of the command laid upon her that once accepted nothing could divert or frighten her One might expect a girl of her origin to be awestruck at the thought of presenting herself before a court and a king, but not Joan. She passed unabashed through the throng that had gathered to witness her first meeting with Charles, and kneeling told him composedly, Most noble lord Dauphine, I am come and am sent to you from God to give succor to the kingdom and to you she won charles from the start for he was much of a person in spite of his vacillating and his weakness and he answered to the nobility of her call she won the better part of his court and as for the people they flocked to her she was sent to be examined by experts in law and religion for without assurance that her voices were indeed from god charles did not dare risk it joan might of course be what the english and the cynical of the court declared a witch and her voices of the devil for six weeks the girl was questioned by the ablest lawyers and churchmen of the kingdom a selected body of women gave her a physical examination the end of it was complete justification it is found and hereby declared that joan of arc called the maid is a christian and a catholic and that there is nothing in her presence or her words contrary to the faith and that the king may and ought to accept the succour she offers for to repel it would be to offend the holy spirit and render him unworthy of the aid of god before this ratification all opposition to joan fell she was proclaimed by the king as one sent by god to assist him she was given armour A guard, soldiers, and under her orders a theatrical campaign was conducted. Orleans fell before her, though it was so invested that Charles had ceased to hope for its recovery. The winning of Orleans converted some who had doubted her in spite of learned jurists and theologians. It was with them as with Dulon, her steward. It was not possible for so young a maid to do such things without the will and guidance of our Lord those who because of personal ambition did not believe in her those who hated her purity and the habits of restraint and temperance she imposed on the army those who called her witch still did not dare oppose her openly she might be from god and whether she was or not she was in the saddle adored of the people supported by the king a terror to the english coronation of charles the seventh the complete ascendancy joan of arc had won in france in two months from the time of her first interview with the king lasted from the fall of orleans to the coronation of charles at rheims on july seventeenth fourteen twenty nine the march which preceded the crowning was most of it through land which the english held there were sieges and battles dangers and escapes it was managed by the maid with a calm authority, an unwavering reliance on her voices, which lifted her even in the minds of her most cynical associates, quite out of the ranks of human leaders. She was a greater general than them all. She foresaw all. She never feared nor hesitated. And she, a girl of seventeen, she must be of God. And when finally the impossible had been accomplished, and in spite of english burgundians and the plotters charles was crowned there were few of the french who even secretly denied her claim how could they when all she foretold promptly came true it was by the success or failure of their prophesying that men of those days judged largely whether one came from god or not It was because she told the governor of Valcalur of a distant battle on the day it occurred, and days before the news could reach him, that he finally yielded to her demands for an escort. It was because she selected the king from a throng in which he mingled, and told him that which no one but he knew, that he accepted her. She had said that she would be wounded at Orleans, and she was— She had warned a wicked fellow that he would be dead shortly, and he was. Who could deny the holy origin of such a maid? Certainly not the average man or woman of the fifteenth century. Certainly not the loyal and devout French she succored. As for the English who fled before her, they acknowledged her powers, but they declared them to be of the devil, as was natural, since they were the sufferers. THE CHARACTER OF JOAN but outside of her divine guidance and her unquestionable military and political genius joan of arc had human qualities calculated to make even the roughest of men love and respect her peasant though she was she was beautiful to see this fresh untouched young girl with the flame of inspiration in her eye and the authority of the divine in her bearing clad in her pure white armor and mounted on a war-horse as spirited as the best of them must have been a sight to stir the heart her sympathy for the afflicted poor of the country was as genuine as her devotion to the king they knew it and no little of her power came from their perception there was no shadow of self-seeking in her she never asked honor or wealth or pleasure there were clever and designing ones who sought to trap her with such baubles a well-known and usually quite successful method of sidetracking troublesome people with ideas of their own but joan was quite outside of all worldliness it looked small and thin to one who consorted with saints and followed the orders of the most high what she took of the gifts showered upon her she gave to the poor when at the coronation the king told her to ask what she would she asked that domremy be freed forever from taxes she was devout no catholic in france was more faithful to the church no one partook of its holy mysteries with more humility or with more worship in his heart but good and devout and charitable as she was she was no colorless person There are numerous delightful human outbreaks recorded in the documents of her life. She wept like an ordinary girl when she received her first wound. She flew often into a passion when her commands had been disobeyed. She was particularly hard on the wanton women who followed the camp, often herself chasing them off. Once she broke a sword over the head of one and again killed one by the blow she gave. She guarded her own divine prerogative with quite human jealousy, as there were many women prophesying in those days. A company of them were enlisted to help the king after Joan's first success. Joan never liked them. Folly and futility was her characterization of the work of the most prominent of these women, Catherine de la Rochelle. Send her home to her husband and children was her order a common enough point of view of the maid who has made a career for herself and sees a married woman seeking to do the same however in catherine's case joan suspected fraud and there seems to have been reason the end of her mission and capture with the crowning of the king at reims joan seemed to feel that her mission was at an end she was homesick when she saw her father and those who had come from domremy to witness her miraculous elevation she prayed charles to release her to send her back to her spinning and her flocks her mother and her friends but she was too precious at the moment the king and his counsellors would have more of her aid but they wanted it without admitting her to their councils and without heeding the orders she gave as coming from her voices she was severe and outspoken about this treatment truces have been made she wrote once to the people of rheims that are not pleasing to me and i know not whether i shall keep them but if i keep them it will be solely to maintain the king's honour after rheims there followed campaigns in which she had little or no support treaties of which she did not approve Intrigues which, though she frequently divined and frustrated them, slowly produced their effect on king and people. She failed in September to take Paris, though she had been as confident that it would fall as that Orleans would. She scandalized the church by attacking it on the anniversary of the birth of the Virgin Mary. She was sorely wounded, too, in this attack and had to be carried from the field. It hurt her prestige in the winter following the failure to take paris joan wrought many marvels in the war country in which the king had retreated the greatest was that among doubters and flatterers and in spite of intrigue and discouragement she kept her purpose clear her confidence unshaken she was still joan the maid sent by god to drive the english from all france but she was no longer a maid with full power over the king she stood it until spring then the certainty that there was danger of losing all champagne led her to set out with a band of perhaps a hundred horse and still fewer archers her objective compiegne which the duke of burgundy was threatening it was the thirteenth of may when she reached compiegne the aid she rendered seemed futile enough at this distance the truth was joan had no knowledge of the situation and could have no plans for relief she was not admitted into the councils of those who defended the town for her attack on orleans and her march on rheims she had had the knowledge which during three years of devout belief in her mission she had collected unconsciously no doubt but at Compiègne, she had nothing but her voices she had almost full command from orleans to rheims now she was little more in the minds of the commanding officers than a painted saint a bejeweled reliquary to be used on their sallies and in their attacks the result was her capture it came at a moment when she was crying go forward they are ours though as a matter of fact all of the french but her and her little guard had fled If, in the few months Joan of Arc held sway over the minds of the French king and his people, she showed as none outside of the Christ have ever shown the divinity in man and its power to elevate human nature, surely that which followed is as perfect an illustration of the deviltry in the human heart and what it can do to corrupt and harden men. Never were human minds so put to it to prove a saintly thing evil all the learning that was in the university of paris all the authority there was in the church and state in the part of the world where joan was finally taken for trial was summoned to find out not the truth they had no interest in the truth but plausible reasons for declaring her a heretic the orders from the english government were that she should not be allowed to die save by what they called the hand of justice that is she must be proved to be of the devil this was the business of the church trial and torture and death at this noble work there now was set a band of some sixty of the most learned and distinguished scholars judges and ministers in the land there was an occasional one for whom the work was too abominable one such declared boldly that to force this simple girl to reply without guidance to such great doctors to so many masters was mocking justice they mean to catch her was his verdict i will stay no longer i cannot witness it and indeed they did mean to catch her but what a chase she gave them i doubt if there is such a test of wit and courage and faith in all the history of disputation At every point they taxed their devilish ingenuity to put her at a disadvantage. They drained her physical strength by abominable prison conditions. Joan had been a captive for seven months when she was finally taken to Rouen to trial. In the dungeon tower room given her, it is said she was at first chained in an iron cage, in which it was impossible to stand erect certain it is that shackles were always on her feet a chain round her waist by which she was padlocked to a beam five english guards slept in her room jeering at and insulting her it was in this room they came to her with promises bribes flatteries and threats it was from here that she went in chains in february fourteen thirty one for six public examinations by the sixty or more doctors and lawyers these open meetings proved too damaging to her judges she was too truthful too unafraid too confident in god and her voices the subtlety of some of her answers confused and shamed the most relentless of her examiners they had that overpowering quality which the direct unadulterated truth gives what chance in the long run has a university dialectician before the truth they took her to close chambers and hardly did better they went to her when she was ill and likely to die but they could not touch this clean white thing it slipped through their fingers like a ray of light and on what unimportant matters they badgered her her dress for one the trial seems at points to have been hung on the crime of her wearing man's apparel dress is but a little thing less than nothing she told them they threatened her finally with torture if she did not reply to questions she said her voices had forbidden her to answer in the very torture chamber with the horrid irons before her eyes she cried verily if you were to tear my limbs asunder and drive my soul out of my body naught else would i tell you and if i did say anything unto you i would always maintain afterward that you dragged it from me by force for months this unbelievable torment went on until finally lost in the maze they had prepared for her Worn by confinement and incessant mental and physical strain, she broke under the threat of burning, a child's horror of a fate she had persuaded herself God would not permit. Her voices had deceived her. She signed the deed of abjuration they had prepared for her, only to find it did not mean what she thought. Back in her prison, her courage and her confidence reasserted themselves, and she recanted, all that i said i uttered through fear of fire and i recanted nothing that was not contrary to the truth i had liefer do my penance once and for all to wit by dying than endure further anguish in prison whatsoever abjuration i have been forced to make i never did anything against god and religion i did not understand what was in the deed of abjuration wherefore i did not mean to abjure anything unless it were our lord's will it was this that caught her such is the dexterity of the human intellect bent on proving that which is good to be evil joan had been pronounced a heretic she had confessed to being one so they declared now she recanted the holy church could have nothing to do with some monstrous creature At last the learned doctors had unimpeachable authority for turning her over to the English who now had the undeniable right of burning her alive. They lost no time. It was on a Tuesday, May 29th, that she was declared a relapsed heretic. It was on the morning of the following day that she died by fire. A rough wooden cross, fashioned at her request— by a pitying English soldier, was on her breast, the words, Jesus, Jesus, on her lips. On her head was a great fool's cap, on which was written, Heretic, relapse, apostate, idolatry. End of chapter 9